We, uh, we're in this series called Urban Legends. We're going to get rolling right into it. An urban legend. What's an urban legend? It's a myth. Uh, it's a hoax. Uh, you hear something and you can't help but wonder to yourself, is this true or false? Uh, is this fact or fiction? I mean, is Judgment Day really going to happen on Saturday, May the 21st? Uh, obviously, we all know that that was an urban legend. We do believe as a church that Jesus Christ will come again. And we are eagerly awaiting that day, and that's a big part of our mission and our reason for existing uh, as a church. But I also know and believe that our Bible is not a mathematical equation to be figured out. It is truth. Uh, It is no secret. And part of the reason, again, that we exist is to proclaim uh, those truths that Jesus will come. Uh, I was out uh, driving just the other day and uh, needed some gas. I don't look forward to getting gas these days, but pulled into the gas station. And I said to the guy next to me, I said, hey, did you ever think you'd get excited about gas for $3.80 a gallon? Uh, it's dropped. If anybody tries to tell you that that's a bargain, it's a lie. It's a, an urban legend. It's a myth. Let's not, let's not give in to these false claims. But uh, we're seriously, we're talking about urban legends. We, we call them spiritual myths too, as they have a way of finding themselves into the church. And so this, the goal of this series is to uncover some of those lies uh, in order to better separate uh, fact from fiction. Now this morning, I want to talk with you about some legends around the subject of sin. And I know that the subject of sin is really a taboo subject. In fact, anytime it comes up in a church, I think it's easy to get a little uneasy. Of like, can we talk about that here? I mean, there, there are guests here. Or, you know, why are we talking about a subject like that today? And I'll tell you this. It's much easier uh, to preach encouraging messages. Uh, it's much easier to, to preach, you know, uplifting messages week after week. And don't get me wrong. I, I love encouraging news, and I think it's a big part of who we are as a church. And there's, there's a lot of good news in the good news, uh, that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world. And because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world, you and I can have life. Uh, we can find forgiveness. We can find our way back to God. And Jesus Christ has made that possible. And again, that is very good news. And that's why we exist as a church, is to proclaim that news of Jesus. But we spend a lot of time talking about the good news, and, and rightly so. But if we don't ever take the time to address the subject and the problem of sin, the reality of the sin nature that's in us, the destructive power and eternal consequences, then I feel like I'm doing one of the greatest disservices that I can possibly do for you as a pastor. Overlooking the problem of sin is an incredible, dangerous oversight. You know, the Bible spends a lot of time talking about the subject of sin. Jesus taught a lot on the subject of sin, and I think it's important that it comes up here at appropriate times too. And so we're talking about sin this morning. Insert scary music here. But we're talking about the subject of sin this morning, and I want to give you some background on the theology of sin But then we're going to take a look at a bunch of urban legends that come up around this subject of sin. But most importantly, then we're going to talk about where we go from here. I mean, what's your response and my response to this subject of sin? Because where we go from here really matters, and it's what matters most. If you're taking notes, uh, you can follow along. Sin is the problem with the world today. Sin is the problem with the world today. It's your problem, and it's my problem. Uh, It's a problem with Democrats and Republicans too. (laughs) It's a problem for Christians, it's a problem for Muslims, and it's a problem for atheists. We have a problem in the world today, and the problem is sin. And it's a problem that's infected every single one of us. Sin is the problem that prevents things from being the way that they're supposed to be. You know, something went terribly wrong with this world, and everybody knows it. They all know and realize this. The Bible teaches that God created the world, and when he created the world, he pronounced that it was very good. 
And he created the world and he created men and women. He created man and woman. And when he finished, he said, this is good. This is excellent. You know, the Bible teaches the Old Testament gives a word to this intended state. It's the word shalom. Uh, It means peace. And, And even those who don't believe in the Bible persist in this longing for shalom, for peace on earth. Why? Because deep down, I believe that God has planted in the heart of every single person this desire, this longing that things aren't right the way they are now. They aren't, in, they aren't as they were intended to be. There has to be an answer. There has to be a solution you know, to the problems of this world, this problem of sin. I mean, can you see that? I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that longing even in people around your lives who, who don't go to church or maybe far from God right now, this longing that there has to be an answer. Now, the irony is that no matter what we do, uh, that no matter the decisions that we make, no matter how much money is spent, no matter what, who gets elected or how many year, wars are waged or organizations are started, you know, boredom and misery and fear and tragedy and suffering and injustice and death and pain, they all continue. Why? Because it's the product of sin. We have a sin problem today. Now, the problem of sin can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we often refer uh, to the events of this chapter as the great fall. Uh, It's called the Great Fall. Genesis 3 is a defining chapter in the Bible as it explains the source, uh, the beginning of sin and death. And it's in Genesis 3 that we read about how this great rebellion against God began. The story goes that the serpent or Satan entered the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were there. And rather than trust the promises of God, they chose their own ways. Rather than follow the plan that God had prescribed for their lives, they said this plan this way isn't good enough. And so as Romans says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we know that in his holiness, God has to act. Because God is a holy God, he was required to hold Adam and Eve responsible for their sin, for their actions. And so he held this sin against them and banished them from the Garden of Eden. Now, again, we refer to this as the great fall in theology. They will call this first transgression original sin. Uh, It's what we sometimes call original sin. Uh, Original sin has this kind of effect. You know that in the, the last couple of weeks, maybe you remember hearing it in the news that Uh, officials had to make the determination to open the spillway uh, gates down in the deep south hadn't been opened in years and and now because of it the result is is all this flood water is passing through and ravaging and destroying you know so many areas today again sin kind of has the same effect it begins in one place it began in one place with adam and eve but but it has spread from there now what changed with sin everything changed from sin respect for authority was replaced by rebellion A clear conscience was replaced by guilt and shame. Viewing God as a friend was replaced by this view of God as an angry man instead. Trust was replaced by fear. Uh, Love was replaced by hatred. Intimacy was replaced by separation from God. Freedom to obey God was replaced by enslavement to sin. And self-sacrifice was replaced by self-centeredness. Now, the Old Testament has a number of different definitions for sin, describing it as a relational breach, a social matter, rebellion, emotional pain, and shame. The New Testament defines sin in your notes as missing the mark. That it's missing the mark. It's crossing the line of God's law, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally. It's evil intent or defiantly choosing to disobey God. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, sin, there are sins of omission and there are sins of commission. Now, what's the difference? Well, uh, sins of omission are when we refuse to do the right thing. And so the Bible says to forgive, but I refuse. Or, or the Bible says to give a tenth of everything you have to the kingdom work, uh, but I pretend that this is optional. You know, these are sins of omission. Sins of, of commission are when we intentionally do something that we know we're not supposed to do. And so we show favoritism. Or we hold racist attitudes, or we gossip, 
or we have this hatred in our heart. You know, sin includes our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, and our motives. It's godlessness. It's ignoring God. It's living like there's no God. It's when we raise up these false idols in our life. You know, an idol is anything that you put in your life before God that you allow to take the place of God in you. Racism is a sin. Addiction to pornography is a sin. Sin is a crime like murder. It's cheating on your taxes and adultery. Sin is not only breaking God's laws, but it's also breaking just human laws. Sin is defying the authority of your parents and even as scripture says, the authority of your pastors. Perversion is a sin. Sin is taking something intended for good, something great and wonderful like sex, work, money, or comfort and turning it into the ultimate thing in your life whereby you worship it as a God in place of the one true God. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. He said, this, is, this only have I found, that God created man upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he pronounced, he said, you know, this is, this is good, it's very good. You know, God had a plan, he had a design, he had a way, a perfect plan carved out for you and me, but sin entered the picture, and from that day, Sin has had this terrible hold, this terrible grip on our world and in, a, in, in my life and in your life too. You know, the problem for our world is the problem of sin. And again, it's a problem for you and it's a problem for me. Now, why is this important? Here's why it's important. Because God wants so much more for your life. God, God has an incredible, amazing purpose for your life. You weren't created for sin. I wasn't created for sin. You were created to glorify God and, and to live out this great potential, this great plan that God has for you. You know, he, God wants to be filling you right now. He wants to be filling you with this spirit and empowering you with all of this intensity for life and this joy that only he can give to you. The prophet Hosea described it this way. He said, God and his blessings are like these rain showers that will come that he's ready to release on your life, you know, like these spring rains that, that will flood you with his goodness and his mercy. But, but here's the problem. Here's the problem that we run into in receiving those blessings and that goodness from God. Sin is like the umbrella that prevents us from receiving everything that God has for you and everything that God has for me. I mean, sin is the problem. It's the problem that, 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 that shields us uh, that prevents God from doing the greatest work that he has intended uh, for your life and for mine. I want to transition from there uh, into talking about some urban legends that come up. Again, some spiritual myths around this subject of sin. Because if you and I are going to move from this place uh, where we simply give in to sin in our lives, we're going to have to clear up some of the misconceptions that come with this subject of sin. And, and I've got eight of them for you. This is not a complete list by any means. Uh, we're going to talk about some of them a little bit more in depth, but there are a few we're just going to fly right through because uh, we really don't have time uh, to go any further with them. And again, I don't want this to be about doom and gloom today. Like this isn't doom and gloom day at Genesis Church. Uh, there's good news uh, in all of this, and that's where we're headed. And, and I want that for the most for you and for us today. So urban legends. The first one is this. And again, we're going to move through these kind of quick. Number one, I'm not a bad person. It's the urban legend where I say I'm not a bad person. I mean, how dare you call me a sinner? Uh, I might not be a great person, but I'm certainly a good person. Uh, I'm not bad or compared to him or compared to her. I think that I'm pretty much doing okay. Well, really, it depends on how we define good and what it means to be a good person. You know, the Bible teaches that you and I, that we're not good enough on our own. 
that we're not good enough for God, that even on our very best day, that we all have this ongoing sin problem to deal with in our life. We have this bent or this tendency towards sin. First John chapter one, verse eight says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then over in verse 10, it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, One passage that you might check out on your own later on today, Romans chapter five, beginning in verse 15, reminds us that Adam and Eve are are responsible for this problem of sin, that it's the the sin in the garden, this original sin that was committed. And and theology teaches us that this original sin has been imputed forward to your account and to my account. Now, the word imputed is kind of like a transaction. It's kind of like a term that you would use in describing a debt on a charge card or something, that, that your identity was stolen. My identity was stolen and this original sin has been charged to your account and to my account and we have to deal with it. Now, if you're new to this, okay, I realize that this is a little difficult to absorb and maybe you're kind of new to church or you're new to a subject like this and you're sitting there thinking, well, that sounds a little unfair and yeah, I guess it is a little unfair, you know, and let's just say that some of this is a little difficult to explain and again, to absorb. But, you know, we all, don't we, we, we like to think that we're good. You know, that I'm good enough, and I think it's kind of the way of the world today that I'm not really a bad person, I'm good enough, and, and I, I think I can make myself good enough for God. But Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are really like filthy rags. All of our righteous acts are really like filthy rags. You know, God is saying here, I'll, I'll tell you what good works alone are worth. I'll tell you alone, you know, who you are without Jesus Christ. And he calls our works, he calls our attempt at good works, these filthy rags. Now, because we're all grown-ups, I'll tell you that this word filthy rags here was really a word, it was something that used for women during their menstrual cycle. Really, that's what it is. I mean, that's the truth of what it is. And, and he says, this is what your filthy rags are really like. That every one of us is guilty before God. And no matter how good deeds, how many good deeds you perform or how many bad deeds you perform, good deeds alone won't do it for you. Well, so what does guilty mean? How can I find good news in that? Well, that's, of course, before Jesus. You know, the the good news is that Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin. Uh, He's your solution and he's my solution to this problem of sin. He's the solution for the world and he's good enough for you and me. He's the only solution. And that's why I really believe that it's so important that we at least understand or come back to from time to time and understand and discuss the terrible, destructive of sin because unless we see our sinful condition unless we see who we are without jesus christ how bad we are without him unless we realize how far we fall short of god's standard we will never really realize our need for a savior we'll never really understand how much we need jesus but he is the solution to the problem of sin the second thing is that all sin is the same that's another urban legend that all sin is the same and this is true and false at the same time Uh, Because here's how God views the people of the world. He views people of the world as either knowing Christ, knowing Jesus, or or not knowing him. Either you've chosen him or you've rejected him. Either you're lost or you've been found. Now, for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, um, I believe that sin is sin. Uh, That it's all same in the eyes of God. That all unforgiven sin is the same. Now, we see it differently. And we know that sin has varying consequences uh, in this world. But with God, all sin is the same. It separates us from God. 
You know, the punishment for unforgiven sin is the same. It's death. It's eternal separation from God in hell. Now, while this shouldn't encourage anyone to just go and do as they please because God sees it all the same, it can be encouraging in that it doesn't matter what you've done. Because it's possible that you're here today and the world has just absolutely rejected you for every mistake that you've made that you can't possibly go back and change or fix. You know, and you might be here today and that might be the condition, um, the feeling that's in your life right now. But God's grace and God's forgiveness is wide enough and deep enough to cover any sin, any sin in this room, any sin in this world, because Jesus Christ is the solution. He is God's answer to the problem of the sin in this world. And he's great enough for you and, and he's great enough for me. Now, all sin is the same. What about for Christians? Well, that's not entirely true. You know, sins have degrees of severity. Uh, Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 11, he said, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Some sins have greater consequences than others. The Bible speaks of a sin that leads to death. Uh, The Bible speaks of a more severe punishment, uh, a stricter judgment for those who teach. Uh, The Bible speaks of a greater punishment for intentional sin versus unintentional sin, a a greater punishment for those who abuse children and twice the judgment for self-righteous people than for those who are far from God. You know, we all know that sin has varying consequences. I mean, suppose that on the way to church today, I got a speeding ticket, which I didn't, but just suppose that I did. Now, what I would do with that is I'd make it into a funny story and I'd share it, you know, here and I'd get a couple laughs out of it. And you wouldn't even think twice about having to forgive me, right? Even though that I broke a just law. But let's suppose that I, as your pastor, uh, stole $50,000 from the church, you know, and went off on a, on a great months long vacation or something, you know, you'd fire me and rightly so for that. Because sin has varying consequences in this world. Uh, You know, to say that all sin is the same, well, you can see, I think, that it's not completely true. Number three, sin is breaking God's rules. You know, sin includes breaking God's laws and commands. and, And this is true. You know, the Bible is full of them. I mean, it's full of these rules and these commands. But to restrict sin to simply, you know, these sins, these rules that we should and shouldn't do is only really seeing part of the picture. Because ultimately, here, here's the problem with sin. Sin is more than, than simply breaking rules. It's fundamentally, it's violating the relationship that we have with God. It's saying that, God, your ways don't, don't work for me, that I'm going to choose my path, that I'm going to choose my own way. I, I love the illustration from the book, The Smell of Sin. Don Everts tries to capture the essence of what sin is like. And, and he describes, you know, this moment of coming home. You've been away for a long time and your mom and your dad are there and you get up one morning and you go to the kitchen and mom has baked and cooked the very best. I mean, there are omelets and cinnamon rolls, you know, and eggs and bacon and juice and all these great things. I mean, it's that perfect scene that you could only imagine in your mind. And he writes, it's the best breakfast you can remember. And you stuff yourself. And afterwards, you wipe your mouth, get up from the table, you walk right up to your mom and you spit directly in her face. And spit drips down her face, her eyes close and mouth wide open in disbelief as she pulls up her apron to wipe the spit away. And this is how he describes really what sin is. It's saying, God, your way doesn't work for me. Your path isn't what is best for me. I'm going to choose my own way. And we spit directly in the face of God. You know, there is a relationship available to you and me because of Jesus Christ with God. A relationship where God empowers and sustains and enables us to live obediently. You know, again, sin isn't limited to simply breaking rules. It, it's telling God, um, your way is not good enough for me. 
The fourth thing is that unless I confess every sin I've ever committed, I'm doomed. Have you ever thought that before? Unless I confess every sin. Can you imagine trying to go back and make a list? You know, and you work your way through elementary school and middle school, and you think you've got them covered, and, and maybe high school gets a little shady, and then, oh, boy, college. Like, I've got to sit down, you know, and go through college, and I've got to make this list or, or whatever. I mean, can you imagine trying to do that? You know, Jesus died for all sin. He did, and when you invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, the Bible tells us that he, he forgives your sins, past, present, and future. And, then, and when you see him as the solution to the problem of sin in your life, you know, grace is great. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It covers all, all the sins of our past, all of our sins of the present and future. Psalm 103 reminds us that when we receive Jesus Christ, that he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. But that doesn't mean that as followers of Jesus Christ, then that we can just go on sinning. I mean, as followers of Jesus, we can and we should practice the repentance of our sins as we're aware of them while realizing that even our very own imperfections will will keep us from understanding or having this great perfect sensitivity to all sin. Oops. Man, nothing's going right today. You know, when I stand before God one day, I I don't expect to hear, you know, Mr. Moomaw, um, we're glad you're here, but uh, there's one little matter that we have to take care of before you're allowed to enter in. Do you see back on such and such a date, um, there was this thing, and uh, we never heard from you on it, and so, you know, you're not allowed in. You know, again, I, I know that what I do here on this earth matters. I also know the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and that, that forgiveness covers me, um, that Jesus is enough, that the only thing that will matter on that day is whether or not I know Jesus and whether or not, you know, Jesus is standing there with me, it's the only thing that will matter, you know, for you too, because nothing in any way ever comes close to, to what Jesus is able to do. And Jesus forgives, you know, again, he's the solution to the problem of sin. The fifth thing is that sin is fun. And uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this one here, but I, I can understand the reasoning and the logic in this. Uh, I wasn't innocent by any means, you know, during high school and college and all that, but, but I could see that in others. And so, boy, you know, some of the things just... It looked fun. You know, it was a lot better than what I was doing on a Friday night. But, uh, you know, the Bible says sin leads to death. Uh, sin kills everything. Everything it touches, particularly joy. Uh, it, it causes guilt. It can damage your life. It can damage your, your family. I mean, it's anything but fun. It often poses as something very attractive. But that's why sin is deceptive. That's why it's an outright lie. The sixth thing is that everyone is doing it. And uh, maybe as parents, you're, you're struggling with that right now as you hear your kids uh, using a line, using a phrase like that. I don't look forward to that one day. But, you know, what's the big deal? It's okay. Everybody's doing it. That's a little old-fashioned. We're smarter than that today. Now it's 2011. You know, I, I can't help but think how we've compromised in this area, turned our, our hearts and our eyes on, on the matters regarding sexual immorality. And I'm talking about sex outside of the covenant of marriage. I heard a radio report the other day that says that the divorce rate in America is decreasing. But, but if you listen to the report the rest of the way, it's a little misleading because one of the indicators that the rate is decreasing is that less people are getting married. That there seems to be this trend that less and less people are getting married and it's easier to live together. And young couples and, and any age for that matter will, will choose to simply live together. And, and so rather than marry, rather than choose a Christ-centered covenant relationship, it's better to try it out for a while. And we'll justify it by saying, well, it makes financial sense or it's much more convenient for our situation. 
Now, sexual sin is sin, and sex outside of marriage is a sin. And again, it's not so much that Rule 4.1, you know, dash 3, line A, you know, was violated. It's the heart of the matter. It's saying, God, I realize you have a way and a plan for me, but it doesn't work in my situation. I'm going to choose to do the things the way that I think they work best out for me, best for me. You know, God's gift of sex you know, to a man and a woman is, is beautiful, you know, in, in the covenant of marriage. It's an awesome gift given by God. And we've got to be careful to justify our actions, compromising our values, you know, the, because the rest of the world is doing it. You know, Jesus calls us to live as salt and light in this world, to, to live in this world, but not of this world. You know, as a pastor, I get to do a number of weddings and I remember back a number of years ago when I was serving at another church, I had a situation where a couple came to me and asked me to do their wedding, and they were living together. They had bought a house and everything, and great couple, and, you know, they were a part of our church, and they loved Jesus, and they were working hard, you know, to honor him with their life. And, and I just said, and kind of one of the values that I have is that, you know, I'm willing to do your wedding, but, but something's got to change here. And I, I know the wedding is at that date, and you've already made all of these arrangements, but, but you're just, I don't, I don't believe you're living according to the way that God has designed. And it was a little difficult for them, but I couldn't believe it. They, they agreed. They separated, you know, for the period of their engagement leading up to their wedding. And their friends thought they were crazy. And, you know, I'm sure people were laughing at them. And, and I don't know. Were they perfect in it? I don't know. I didn't drive to their house every night and look to see if his car was in the driveway past 11 o'clock or whatever. I don't do that. But, you know, at least when it came to their wedding day, you know, I felt like we could celebrate a little bit more. I felt like they could celebrate. And that at least they were taking these steps to honor God with their life and saying, you know what? You know, sure, we've all messed up, every single one of us. We've all messed up. But, God, we're, we're taking a step here to honor you in the very best way that we can with our own life. You know, Genesis Church, if we want to make a difference in this world, it, it's going to mean making some choices, choosing some paths, maybe standing up for some things that aren't really popular today. But, again, because Jesus called us, you know, to live in this world but not necessarily of this world. Number seven, sin is not a problem unless I get caught. You know, my secret sin is okay. Now, the truth is uh, that sin is never a secret because God is completely, absolutely aware of our sin. I mean, if you're caught in a pattern of secret sin right now, I mean, you know, and you probably have this sense in your life that something's not right. You know, something's being robbed of you. And while everyone else may think that everything's okay, you know that deep inside, you know, something is eating you away. You know, secret sin is dangerous. And, and if you're not careful, no matter what it is, it will ruin you. I mean, it can take a great hold on your life. Um, ever seen that TV show or ever seen videos that start out um, when animals attack? Huh? It's always great. You know, you've got to watch. You know you shouldn't, but you watch anyways. You know, animal, and usually it's because we're stupid. You know, humans were stupid and animals are much smarter. We don't realize, you know, who they are and what they do. Well, uh, I was watching one the other day when animals attack and it involved the lion, which is always great, and a, a news reporter even better. And, and so, you know, this, this news reporter is getting ready to go into the cage, which it's just not starting off well. And the trainer's in there and all. And I mean, the last time that I checked, I mean, the lion is pretty much at the top of the food chain, right? I mean, it's like lion, everything else. Okay. Now, you know, maybe when the lion dies, it's those little bugs and stuff that will eat the lion away. But for the most part, it's lion and everything else. And so this news reporter goes in and it, it doesn't end too bad. But, uh, you know, he, he comes out in the very end with a nice bite on his ankle. And, you know, the truth is, you know, you watch it the whole time and you just know it's coming. And secret sin kind of has the same effect in our life. I mean, you may think it's a secret and you may think it's harmless and it won't do any damage to yourself or to anyone else. 
But the Bible tells us that Satan is like one who just kind of crawls around seeking someone to devour. And he wants nothing more than to take you down and to destroy your life and your work and your career and your family, all of those around you. Number eight, if I've got Jesus, then my sin isn't a big deal. You know, the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness made available by God is an extraordinary thing. I mean, it is the good news, and it's good enough for anyone here today. You know, and the truth is that you can turn from your sin, and you can turn to God, and and the Bible tells us and promises us that you will be forgiven. And and this amazing transformation begins, you know. And, And once you make this change, once you see Jesus as the solution to the problem of sin and the solution for your life, Uh, Nothing can snatch you from his hand. And and the Bible teaches us that you and I, we're a new creation when that starts now. But we've got a problem today. And and I think the problem in the church and out of the church is this deliberate misuse of the grace and the power and the forgiveness of God. I mean, it's fueled by this self-centeredness that I can do what's best for me. That I can choose to package or to arrange this whole Jesus experience in the best way possible that it doesn't affect my life in any way that I don't want it to. I mean, in some ways, it's like Jesus is this little app that we can download to our phone and we know where to get it when we need it. You know, but I'm in control. I get to decide how this is dispensed in my life. One pastor said it this way. You know, too many people today want to add Jesus Christ to their life without ever feeling the need to subtract sin. That nothing has to change. You know, we want the benefits of membership, but we don't want to take seriously the teachings of Jesus. We want a new start without ever feeling this need for repentance in our life. You know, it's adding Christ without subtracting sin. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20, Peter says, if, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and again are entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. You know, it's like you know the, the grace and the power and, and the awesome news of love and forgiveness in this world, but you continually go back over and over again to the destructive power and influence of sin. And I think sort of what Peter means here is, you know, the, the most miserable people in the world today aren't people who are far from God. It's Christians who have gotten caught up in the destructive power of sin. That's who's most miserable in this world today. And some of you know this. You know the pain and and you know the miserable feeling that comes with having unforgiven sin in your life. Sin is the problem of the world. Again, it's your problem and mine. And and I realize I've dumped a bunch on you right now. And and maybe some of you are here and you feel like, you know, God's working in your life. And there's some way that you need to respond to all of this. and, And maybe others, it's when do we get to go? We've got just a few minutes, but but this is really important because this has everything to do with where we go from here. And it is good news. You know, like a loving father, you know, God warned Adam and Eve, our first parents, of the consequences of the decisions and choices they made, but they chose sin over and over again. We do the same too. And because God is holy and just, which is another sermon for another time, I mean, he has to deal with sin. But because God is loving, he has chosen to do so in a way that we can find love and we can find grace and we can find forgiveness and never be the same again. You know, you and I weren't made for sin. We were made for him. So what is response to sin in our lives? Well, whether Christian or not, here's the response to sin in our lives. The response to sin in our lives is nothing short than deep, full, true, broken, devoted, humble repentance before God. Whether you know Christ or you don't know him. Now, what's repentance? It's the moment everything changes. It's the moment that you realize the way that I'm going, that something has to change. There has to be a new direction, that I can't go back to the way I was before. The Old Testament word for repentance means to return, to go back to where you belong. 
James McDonald, a great pastor and writer, says this about repentance. He says, repentance is a recognition of sin for what it is, followed by a heartfelt sorrow culminating in a change of behavior. And I think that's a great working definition for us as we wrap this up. And the first I want, I want to talk to you for just a moment. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've never made that decision in your life before, here's what repentance looks like for you. And I tried to keep it as simple as possible. The first thing is that repentance is recognition. You know, as McDonald's right here, it is being able to recognize that I am far from God, that I have this problem of sin in my life, that I can't get to God, I can't get to heaven on my own, but there's a God who loves me and has been working ever since the beginning of creation to put his family back together. And I rightfully belong to that family. So repentance is recognition. It's also realization. It's a realization that sin is the problem and that only as I understand the tragic result of the tragic reality of sin can I possibly ever realize that I am desperate for Jesus, that I need him that I can't do this on my own. You know, God sent Jesus to rescue me. He sent Jesus into this world so that you and I can have him. He is the solution. And when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible teaches that you become a new creation, that you are a brand new person, that you can't go back to the way that you were before, that you were owned by God. The third thing is it's a redirection. Uh, It's a redirecting your course. It's saying I'm a new creation now. I'm a new person because of Jesus Christ. Does it mean I won't ever stumble? No, no. Does it mean I won't ever make a mistake? No. Does it mean I won't ever fall? Absolutely not. Does it mean I have to have every answer to every question I've ever had answered? No, I don't think so. But it means that I am forever grateful for Jesus and he is changing me more every single day to become more and more like him. And I have not arrived yet, but the course of my life, the trajectory of my life right now is pointing towards Jesus. I must have him as my leader and as my guide. And we all need repentance. You know, the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life is to choose repentance, to choose choose Jesus Christ as the solution to your problem. Lastly, uh, repentance is for believers too. Uh, And I feel like that we desperately need this in our world today more than ever before. Followers of Jesus Christ who are daily and regularly going before God with this discipline of repentance this discipline of seeking forgiveness. You know, it's for those of us who have crossed that starting line in our faith but say, you know, I, I need something more. Repentance is for believers too. Here, here's what that looks like. Again, it's, it's recognition. It's recognizing that while I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that until he returns, I'll still have to deal with this issue of sin. I mean, it's out to get me as well. You know, now you can't overcome sin on your own. And, and I think one of the greatest challenges that we sometimes face that you're maybe caught up into right now is you've got something in your life and you want to eliminate it and you're doing everything in your power to do that, but you can't. And it's because you're trying to do it on your own instead of, uh, of receiving God's spirit. You know, God's spirit can free us from that temptation. God's spirit can remove that sin from our life. Uh, it's a realization too. It's a realization that while I needed Jesus 15 years ago or 20 years ago, that I still need him today. And maybe now more than ever before. Again, Satan is like this roaring lion seeking someone to devour and and nothing would give him greater joy but to tear you apart. The third thing is redirection. It's that return. Because we all know it's easy to get off course. I mean, how many times have you used your GPS and, and wound up in the wrong location? And sin will do that to us. It'll get us to the wrong place and And we have to rely on Jesus Christ to get us back on course. Um, A few verses and then we pray. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Let's pray together. You know, as we pray right now, I I want you to know that the way of Jesus isn't limited to simply getting a ticket to heaven. It's you and I saying, I want to be more like him. That I wasn't created for sin, I was created for God. And I want to see God's complete work in my life. Uh, Let's go to God right now. I want to invite you where you are this morning to repent before God, to, to pray, Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. They are greater than we can imagine. And we thank you that your forgiveness is always available. God, we thank you that new life is available to those who will turn to you today. And as we pray right now, I want to invite you to just think about your life right now, maybe some of the things that are going on there, maybe a sin that's in your life right now. And, and I want to encourage you to give a name to that sin. And it may be pride or greed, rebellion, lust, anger, unwillingness to forgive, a rebellious heart critical attitude or maybe the desire to control just just give it a name right now and once you've named it i want you to take it to god and ask him to humbly ask him in all humility to forgive you Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would forgive these sins. And we thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness. And because of that grace, we owe our lives to you. You know, as you continue praying, I mean, maybe you've confessed to God and and maybe you need to confess to someone else. I mean, the Bible says to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. You know, is there someone that you need to confess to? Maybe it's with your connection group tonight. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker, a spouse. But as we continue praying, you know, some of you are here today and you're far from God right now and you've, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. But maybe today is the day when you're feeling drawn to God and, but you're just not sure where to go from here. Let, let me just explain to you very clearly that the Spirit of God has been working in your life since you were born, working to draw you into a relationship with God. And, and you might be thinking, I've got a bunch of things to clean up in my life before that could ever happen. Let me tell you that you can never get clean enough on your own. There is nothing you can do for yourself to earn your way to God. You have to come as you are. And that's why God sent Jesus in. He sent Jesus because you and I need a Savior. You, God sent him. He died. He raised him from the dead. And the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be forgiven. Maybe you're here right now and you're not following Jesus, but you're ready to cry out to him, save me, forgive me. If that's you today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you want to do that today, maybe just as a way of acknowledging that. 
Just slip your hand up where you are right now. I'm going to invite you to pray with me silently where you are. But just to slip your hand up and say, I need Jesus. I need him as the solution to the great challenge of my life. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd forgive me of my sin. Make me a brand new person today. A new creation. And I want to be like you. God in heaven, we celebrate the great news. The great news of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that you sent him to this world for every one of us. And God, we celebrate that today. We give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.